0: Welcome back to another episode of Dentistry's Growing with Grace podcast. Join Grace and her guest of the week as they discuss lessons learned in the industry and explore unique insights into ethical growth. Hello, welcome back to Dentistry's Growing with Grace. I'm here with my friend, Greg Schubert. Greg, thank you for joining me.
1: Sure, Grace. Glad to be here today. Nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you too. And I know we spoke a little bit about... Your philosophy and care as a as a lab um, leader in lab work and um, with ProCraft uh, Dental Lab, but let's tell our audience a little bit about you and your history in dentistry.
1: Sure. Well, I started the lab and uh, I was renting a house from my dad at the time, and and uh, we started it in the garage, like a lot of laboratories, and that was in 1979, and um, you know, bringing us all the way up today. Uh, we are family owned and operated. My son's been, he's 30 now and he's been working with me since he was 15 and he handles all the digital stuff and all of the, all the complicated digital stuff. I'm a, I'm a a ceramics technician. I like to build ceramics and work on the art side. And my son, Dylan, he takes care of all of the, the digital and the technique stuff Then I've got my brother here. That's been working with me since I believe 93 and he handles all of our sales and then my two daughters, um, they help me with all the marketing stuff. Fortunately, I'm very fortunate that all my kids—I got four children—and they all live right around here. They have homes in the neighborhood, and so we're all closely knit, and uh, we're very much involved in the dental laboratory. They've grown up; they've grown up in the dental laboratory business, so so uh, it's nice to have them involved in the business, also. So we're definitely family-owned and operated. Um, we don't offshore anything; everything's done here in-house in the laboratory. Uh, we moved the building the laboratory here to Marietta, where we live in Marietta, California. And um, we moved into this building in 2005. It's state of the art. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, we did all the tenant improvements, so I, li- I like to make things just the way I want them. so, so the laboratory turned out well. Um, and yeah, we kind of we, we, we specialize in high- end aesthetic anteriors, anteriors, um, complex implant cases like you all on four that we'll be talking about. Um, and we're full service, so we do a lot of precision partials and premium de- premium uh, removal products. So that's kind of a little bit about us. Um, oh, one other thing I'd add is uh, we come from the, or I come from the, the boutique boutique lab world, uh, where, uh, you know, it was very high price for back in that time, we were getting paid, uh, you know, extremely good money for a posterior, okay, or whatever, whatever crown we're doing. But I found that um, um, there's not a lot of dentists that can afford that type of work. Uh, or patients for that matter. So what we've managed to do over the years is figure out a way to take those boutique things that we used to like to do and put them into a system that allows us to be able to do it at a much more reasonable price and not give up those boutique elements of aesthetics and art. Uh, so that's really kind of makes us different is the, is the system that we have that uh, breaks all of that detail down into little steps and we'll have one technician just do one step And get really good at it and then it goes on down the line. So we've been really successful at doing that. And that's a little background about us.
0: I love it. I can relate to that a lot. Um, We build websites and... We have about a hundred steps in building a website. And anytime a little hiccup happens, I go, do we have a step for that? Is that in the process? (laughs) What process failed? What can we fix? Because I always tell my team, like we can, uh, you know, the first time something happens, it's a learning experience. The second time it happens, it's a mistake. And so you're constantly creating and recreating systems to minimize the occurrence of any hiccups. And I think too many service-based businesses don't put enough effort into their step-by-step processes and their their even their accountability and their training, and they grow too quickly. And when exactly. you when you outgrow what you can serve, when you outgrow your systems and the support that you have, you compromise your reputation. And once that's shot, you got nothing. So yeah, you
1: got nothing. You, you have to do something right. I mean we would have been in business for a long time. And uh, I found out early that uh, a lot of that just has to do with always thinking of the customer. Yet you have to think of the customer. And if you keep the customer happy, then you stay in business for a long time. Um, so you and I think a lot the same. As you're speaking, uh, it's ringing true to me. You'd be a great dental technician. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, and, and I'm going to get to these technical questions that will certainly bring value to our dentists so that are listening. Um, before I do that, I want to just, talk as a patient, and I want to tell our listeners, you know, you're the lab that you partner with, it matters a great deal. If you are not with someone who is reliable and provides quality work to you to then deliver to the patient, it compromises your relationship. And I think too often, dentists are solely price shopping for who they partner with for their lab. And I can tell you right now, I'm a patient and, and I'm a good patient. I have 10 veneers and a whole bunch of restorations all over my mouth. And I could tell you, I recently had um, a veneer break and I brought the actual veneer into my dentist. And I said, we need to replace this. And it's kind of far in the back. But I said, you know, here, you have this, send it to the lab. And when it came back, it wasn't the same shade. It was, it was brighter. You don't want a tooth in the back brighter than the teeth in the front. and right. I ended up having to have four four appointments of, you know, all of this, a lot of chair time, a lot of billable hours away from my business to fix this one too. Sure. And now I have another one that cracked. I told you I'm really good at, at being a patient. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I love my dentist. I love her, but I don't want to go through that again. I really right. would rather... Know that they're partnering with the best lab, and it is a reason for patients to leave. So, before we get into the technical benefits and values that we're going to share with our audience today, I just, from a marketing perspective, Dennis, pay attention here because this, what you provide, every step from the very first phone call to um, post op instructions, every bit of that patient experience contributes to your marketing, your new patient acquisition. Your brand and reputation, and it all matters. So when you're when you're considering who you're gonna, you know, partner with, um, these are some things to consider, um, especially from from ProCraft. So that being said, now we'll get into the to the meat of things. Tell me a little bit about the the thickness. The what, what's the required final thickness of the zirconia pro- prosthesis? And I'm not a clinical person, so yeah, 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 Something so wrong. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, you're talking about the all-on-four. Uh, that's what, that's some of the complex implants cases that we do. Um, one of the biggest challenges is making sure we have the proper thickness for strength. Um, and that's, that thickness should be between 12 and 15 mill- millimeters minimum. And that's from the crest of the ridge to the incisal edge of the pros- prosthesis. Um, that's a must. It has to happen or otherwise you'll get breakage. Um, zirconia does break, uh, despite what people will tell you. And I'm sure we all know that now although that's the way it was pitched early on. Um, one of the ways to get that thickness for the, for the restoration is, uh, of course, bone reduction is the first choice. Um, this, is a, this is a surgery type of, uh, of uh, restoration. The bone needs to be reduced, and um, that's the first choice. Um, and one of the re- main reasons for that is strength, but also for uh, the, the ridge. Underneath the ridge, it can't be convex. It has to be, it has to be, it can't be concave. It has to be convex and that's for cleansability. Um, Patient has to be able to get underneath there and clean. So they have proper hygiene. And so uh, bone reduction aids in that uh, because it doesn't turn into a ridge lap type of situation. Uh, We can make it nice and cleansable and clean. Um, Sometimes uh, that minimum thickness can be achieved by by opening the vertical a little bit. So if the patient um, can tolerate it, the vertical can be opened, of course, and you can attain that thickness. Um, so that's kind of a, a fallback uh, position to be in. Um, bottom line, though, if you get down to where you're less than 12 millimeters of thickness, uh, a titanium bar would be the way to go. It's a substructure that we built inside of that zirconia. And of course, these are full mouth restorations. It's a full upper arch. So that zircon- that titanium bar would be placed in there to add that additional strength. Um, if it starts to get down to that, that, uh, that thickness, of course, that of course is, is more complicated It requires more steps and more expense. So bone reduction is the first choice to be able to solve that problem. And that gets you to that thickness that you're looking for.
0: Interesting. And I know every dentist I work with has a different philosophy and care and treatment planning and process. And, um, it's important that your, your lab partnership that you have similar, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that you have a similar philosophy and treatment. Otherwise it's just going to create, I think a lot of, um, friction and miscommunication unnecessarily.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, the, the communication between the lab and the, and the, the dentist is always like paramount, especially when you're talking about anterior aesthetics and something as complicated as implant cases, they gotta be on the same page. You gotta, you know, the, the, the lab technician is going to work with a lot of different clients, and each client might have a different approach or a different philosophy about how to do something. Um, so the laboratory needs to adapt to whatever that cl- that clinician wants. And so we do things a lot of different ways sometimes, and maybe not all the time in a way that we think it should be done, but uh, the clinician calls the shots and and uh, so we have to adapt to the way that they want things done in general.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and the interesting thing is like when you're working with a dentist, a lot of times they have the perspective of one practice, one set of patients, and maybe not a whole lot of history there. Whereas when you're a lab or like us, a marketing agency, we've worked with, you know, thousands of practices. And so we can see trends and we can see, okay, well, oh, you know, this broke. Well, this We start to see why you start to see on a deeper level, because you have more practices to compare it to. So I I think it's helpful to to hear this, you know, clinical input from yourself that you've been in business. How long have you been in business?
1: Oh, 1979 is like over 40 years, 42, 43 years. Something <laughs> longer, than wanted, longer than I running longer than I want to admit. <laughs> You've
0: seen trends from more than one practice, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have a different true. perspective. And I, I think um, not that you would ever dictate the process. Um, but if if you do have a clinician who wants your opinion on longevity, I'm sure there's a lot of communication and opportunity for communication there as well.
1: Yeah, there has to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I've noticed that with the advent of uh, technology changing so much, that nowadays uh, the dentist more and more relies on the lab in order to help them with that. There's just too much information, too much technique, too many materials. So it's up to the lab to step up. I mean, really, honestly, the the dental lab uh, profession needs to step up, provide and fill in that gap for the dentist. If you're thinking about the patient as the ultimate customer here, Uh, Which is what it who they are. For us, of course, the the clinician is our customer, but ultimately it's the patient. Um, so we'll try and move our our clinicians in the direction that we think that they should go to serve the patient. Because ultimately that's our that's our that's who we're really concerned about. Um, and uh and and that's just kind of our philosophy. So we work in that direction.
0: I think sometimes um, and I promise I'll get back to my technical questions, but Mm -hmm. I think sometimes uh doctors think that if they they take their time that that's always a good thing and um as a patient i don't i don't want four visits if i could have two visits i i don't see value in you taking more time to restore my tooth if you could if you could do it in less time and so getting it right getting the impressions right getting the process right from the beginning saves the patient time and they do care about that a great deal so um that being said, how can you eliminate the titanium housings from you know becoming loose or needing to yeah. be rebonded?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a, a real issue. Um, you know, we take all the precautions when we're doing all on fours. Um, we use a, we sandblast. We use a, a product from Bisco called Z Prime Plus to to prime and prepare the surfaces, and we follow all the bonding processes. But the fact of the matter is, if those uh all in fours have been in the mouth for a period of time. Sometimes they can torque loose just from the movement in the mouth. They torque loose, and so uh, on occasion, um, the clinicians having to rebond those back in, or they send it to the laboratory to do it. And uh, one way to eliminate that whole um, factor is again with a titanium bar. Uh, the titanium bar is the advent of uh, of um, five axis milling that's in the business now, and, and some of the higher end milling systems. Uh, we're able to to mill these bars that will fit precision fit inside of the zirconia to add that extra strength well of course we use it for strength on a regular basis but it eliminates the housings popping out because you don't have any housings any longer so you kind of accomplish two things at once um, I don't know what percentage the housings come out um we just see it I know that we see it you know every few months or so one will come back in that some of the housings have they've been in there for two years or something like that and The housings work loose. So uh, we know also that the titanium bar is an extra expense. Um, uh, But that is one way to eliminate the possibility of that happening uh, and kind of kills two birds with one stone. and can take care of the strength issue if you have it. And you'll never see that that, uh, housing come back uh, that's been delaminated. So that's one way we would do it.
0: And listen, there might be a little bit more expense. But if I'm replacing my teeth Mm -hmm. as a patient, I want the longest lasting, absolute best option. And most of the people who call me when they're looking to, you know, attract more implant um, patients and things of this Mm -hmm. nature, I'm, I'm always teaching them. You're either marketing to people who are looking for the cheapest or you're marketing to people who are looking for the best. Don't, don't, don't you dare market yourself as the best and then provide the cheapest. You, you need to have brand consistency here. So.
1: Along with that, I think that, um, one thing that uh the clinicians can consider, and it's kind of the, the clients that we attract just by the nature of the beast, is um they're you know, they're interested in the reputation. They have a geographic area that they do business in, and their reputation is paramount in that area. Um, but oftentimes they'll send their posteriors to a less expensive lab and their anteriors, which is what we specialize in, to a, a little bit more expensive lab. But uh, my opinion's always been that uh when they go home and they had a bad experience with a the posterior, they're gonna complain just as much about it as if they had a bad experience with an anterior. So are they really uh, saving a few bucks uh, when you consider the reputation on that posterior? Uh, of course, we, we like to do posteriors and we like to do more of them, but that is a trend that we see that uh, uh, posteriors are sometimes sent to labs at offshore or less expensive labs. And, and um, I don't think that it does a um, uh, justice to them if they're trying to, uh, improve their reputation and maintain the reputation in their, in their area. So.
0: No, no, certainly not. Um, and I, I do see this a lot in marketing that we use the best materials, the most, la- like, don't just say it, you have yeah. to live your brand. Um, you mentioned about, you know, bone removal, mm-hmm. how much needs to be, how do you know how much needs to be removed to okay. get that desired vertical?
1: Yeah, generally, it's going to be somewhere between 11 to 15 millimeters per arch to get that reduction that you need, generally speaking. Um, one way that the, that the clinician can uh, can know that they're getting the proper bone reduction is uh, a good lab is going to go ahead and make a, a duplicate denture or uh, immediate denture, and that the flange is going to be designed differently. It's going to be designed straight across, and it'll be designed at the proper thickness that that, that end prosthetic should be. And so they can put that in the mouth, and uh, this is during the surgery steps, and they can take a carbide or a diamond burr, and they'll go ahead and they'll trace into the bone or into the tissue a line right across where that measurement needs to be. And then as they're reducing the bone, then get down that level, and then they know that they're at the proper proper um, level to get that thickness of zirconia and have that bone reduced. Uh, another way would be some labs will provide a, an acrylic jig that can be placed over the, over the ridge. And it's kind of like a reduction coping, and the clinicians will know what that is, and they can just prep the bone off even with that to get to that area. But you know, getting that—that's probably the the biggest challenge we have. That's probably the number one thing is bone reduction. Um, uh, All implants have become very popular, um, but they require a certain certain uh, approach to deliver a good product that's hygienic and that's strong. Um, and so you got to have that bone redu- reduction in order to handle that, and it's more difficult to do on the on the uh, maxilla than it is on the mandible the maxilla you have to reduce enough so when that person is in a broad smile that they don't see the edge of the zirconia right there yeah so it, it, as you're reducing that bone you got to go up enough so that in the broad smile um, you don't see that finish line and that all comes down to pre-planning and, and knowing all of those things before you even start the case uh, so you have it done correct when the patient's there and, and you get it done in one time um, so that's, that's probably where I see uh, the biggest challenge is bone reduction. There are products, we do a product that's all milled out of chrome and individual teeth are put on preps. And what that does is it allows us to make the, the prosthetic very thin and narrow, all right? Because it's chrome, it's not zirconia, so the strength is there. And that eliminates, it helps you cheat a little bit where you don't end up having a concave uh, underneath the ridge because it's so narrow that you can get rid of some of that concavity. But now you're talking about, you know, real expense, really high end when you're making all that Chrome framework and individual crowns to put on there, but we do them. And, uh, and it's a method to get away from that, um, um, having an area that's not hygienic and maybe yeah. you don't have the correct vertical you want, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so. And I, and I want to speak to this too. Um, Dennis, listen, <laughs> not every patient wants the cheapest option. Don't assume, don't assume this. You can have different levels of restoration of smile replacement. You can educate your patients on different materials and expected longevity and the benefits of these things. You can make it a system where you allow them to upgrade to something else. Um, And and they will appreciate the time that you spent in educating them, not the time in the chair, they don't want to be in the chair, but the time that you spent educating them and giving them options they will feel like you're providing next level care. So don't, don't write it off because it's a little more costly and don't make that decision for your patient because some patients, like I said, they want the best, some want the cheapest and there's not always a whole lot in between. So uh, make sure you you consider who you're talking to and, and who you're presenting treatment to. Um, and, and that kind of brings me to my next question too. We talked earlier, you mentioned you know fractures potentially. Um, how do you reduce the possibility of a fracture in a zirconia prosthesis?
1: Well, you know, we talked about the thickness of the zirconia is one aspect, uh, but there's also uh, when you have too much of an extension, where there's a distance between uh, the implants that are placed, or they want to go too far distal past that last implant, and you end up with this extension. Um, you know, a good rule of thumb is you only want to extend on the distal extension, you only want to extend about one tooth past that last abutment as a general rule. Anything further than that, of course, you're can't levering that zirconia out. And if you think about it, there's an implant right there uh, in front of that extension. And that's where all your zirconia is thinnest. And we'll see them where they just can lever down and it cracks right there with that last uh, uh, implant. And uh, and you're back to remaking it again. So you can't extend too far. And then also, again, if you, if you need to, or you uh, feel inclined to, again, the titanium bar, is what goes in there to fill that and so you could extend it back we know that sometimes the patient when they smile they don't want to see no teeth back there right so they might you know they're going to encourage you to extend one more tooth back so that it's aesthetic and they can they don't see it when they have a broad smile well you're going to have to tell them hey you're going to move to have to move to a titanium bar underneath there to give you the extra strength and then you can kind of get back a little bit further maybe in another tooth or so so those are those are just some general general rules of thumb uh, again, but with the advent of a titanium bar, we just see that being used more and more um, as, as this whole technology has kind of blossomed and grown. And we've kind of taken our hits, you know, along the way and learned, hey, look, you know, this stuff is not bulletproof. It will break. <laughs> even, even though it's really thick, it'll break and you have to handle it with respect. So that's how we handle the long extension issue.
0: Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I'm sure our, our listeners will find it helpful as well. Um, I always think about these all on four, all on six, all on X, whatever it ends up being, and um, thinking about how challenging this must be, especially from a patient's perspective because it's the only perspective I really have. and And I think about the aesthetics of this. and you you sometimes see people with I see people out in the world that I can tell they have dentures or I can tell they have. Uh, a dental prosthesis of some kind, in all on X case. So how can we make sure that with each patient that these all on X cases are are customized to them?
1: Right. Sure. Yeah. That's kind of a, um, a two-part question in that, in that sometimes it's not the clinician's fault or the laboratory's fault. It's the patient's fault. You know, they want these perfectly straight teeth and they want them all to be uh, a bleach shade. Uh, and in my opinion, that looks like a denture, uh, um, so it just kind of depends on the patient. There's a way to approach things where if the dentist is um, doing the wax try-in, for example, on these all-in-four cases, they can encourage the patient to kind of move some teeth a certain way. Nothing drastic, but just something that's nice and subtle that, uh, that lends that natural appearance to them. Um, and luckily, uh, as opposed to with a denture where you really only have a tooth that is all the same shade, with uh, all-in-fours, we can, we can subtly change the shade Throughout the tooth, so that the gingival area is a little bit different color than the incisal, for example, and then you got embrasure areas that you can put slightly shading in. Nothing that's that's offensive, but when you look at it, you wonder, okay, is that a real tooth or is that a or is that a, a prosthetic? You know what I mean? So that's kind of the, the magic of dental technicians is we go in there trying to figure out well, how do we make this thing so that the patient likes it, but um, it doesn't look like it's a, a fake a fake anterior bridge or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and I think we do a good job doing that, but you have to have a clinician that's, that's uh, interested in kind of educating the patient sometimes and letting them know, Hey, look, you know, you got two ways to go here. And then ultimately the patient makes the decision and, and we do our very best to, to make them look like natural teeth, irregardless.
0: Absolutely. And one,
1: one uh, last, one last thing I'd add on, add on that that I almost forgot is, um, is uh photos. We're big on photos. Uh, that's how we can personalize it to the individual patient. Uh, we need to see their face. And so we need to have like a full face photo of them in a broad smile. Uh, we need to have a photo that's taken of uh, up close of uh, just the, the, maybe the wax try-in in an all on four situation. So we can see how the wax try is laying out and that's straight on. And then from right and left side, at slightly an angle. So we could see it from that side of the wax try uh, And then the last photo would be like totally on the side. So we could see the the overjet of the of the maxilla and the mandible so we can kind of see how that looks in the patient's mouth uh photos man if there's one skill that uh, the dentist can learn it's it's easy nowadays because we have all this technology is to send the laboratory really good quality photos um and then that helps us we can see the patient we can see how their nose might move to one side or when they smile how much gum is showing or how much is not showing uh it's like they say picture says a thousand words right
0: Yeah. And that's the artistic side of what you do and why you want to partner with a lab that takes interest in that end result, just like you do. And, um, I, I, just think there's such an incredible benefit in finding the right lab to partner with and learning how to work together, learning how to communicate and making sure that, that it's as seamless as possible for the patient, because at the end of the day, that's your reputation on the line. So Um, Greg, thank you so much for being here with me today. If one of our listening dentists wants to learn more about your lab, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, They can just call me direct at 877-484-3522, or they can email us at info at pro-craft.com um, got a great team of people here and kind of our motto is uh, we don't make crowns, we make teeth.
0: <laughs> and, and as a marketing nerd, I absolutely love that. <laughs> uh, I really do. So to our audience, thank you for listening. Join our Facebook group, Dentistry's Growing With Grace. Follow us on YouTube where we post our full episodes. And I look forward to seeing you next time where we'll share more great information. Thank you, Greg.
1: Nice meeting everybody. Have a good day.